All right, welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. We're back after a little bit of a hiatus, but we're really excited because it's time for the Celtics Wizards second round series to begin. And to help us preview that, you got me here, you got Ben here, and we have Michael Pina from Newly from Vice Sports on to break down what should be a fun series with an ERAL at the end. So we'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about the Rocket Spurs series, which is a fun series without the ending. And we'll talk a little bit about Cavs Raptors. Is this uh, going to be a tough series or not for LeBron James? So, but before you do that, please rate, review, and subscribe to Limited Upside on iTunes. We really appreciate all the feedback. It keeps us going. It keeps us going with all the stupid jokes we make, and it keeps us going with all the, we hope, the good playoff analysis we do. So send, do that. You can always tweet us a question at Limited underscore Upside. We'll, we answer them on the show all the time. Uh, so please do all those things and enjoy this edition of the Limited Upside podcast with Michael Pina of Vicesports.com. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. This is Ben. I'm joined by Prada, as always, and Mike Pina this time. Uh, friend of the pod many, many times over now. Pina, I don't know, maybe like five, six times you've joined us, man. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, who's counting, cool. though? Who's counting? Yeah, right. Exactly. And this is a little different. You're, you're full-time vice sports now, right, bud? That, that's great. Congratulations. I am. Thank you so much. Very excited. Couldn't have happened at a better time right as uh, the playoffs are in uh, full swing. Perfect. And perfect timing because we got Prada's Wizards and, and Pina's Celtics to talk about <laughs> oh, yeah. first here. Yeah. So real quick before we start, I, I just want to say I, I'm so happy that Mike's got a full time gig. Uh, but I do feel for all the people who have lost their jobs at ESPN, a lot of our friends and colleagues. Uh, I have no idea what they're thinking. And I just want <laughs> them all to know that we're thinking of them. And, uh, you know, it's great that there are some writers still getting valued the way they should like mike yeah. but um it's unfortunate that so many have not and are not uh somebody have that built you know the espn brand and style of how they even cover the league are the ones that are on the chopping block uh i just think it's incredibly ridiculous and you know i'm sure they'll all land on their feet but we are thinking of them yes well yeah said. I- I would just really quickly like to back that sentiment and just say that uh, all the writers I respect and the ones I know personally, my my condolences go out. And um, Henry Abbott, uh, specifically, I would not be here without him. He is the godfather of Internet basketball writing and uh, much thank you to him. I don't think any of us would be. You know, no, he's a legend. Directly or indirectly, he did so much. But um, anyway, yeah, yeah. I just thought of that because you were you were saying how great it is that you got this new gig at Vice, and that's fantastic. Yes. So I'm glad somebody is valuing, uh, you know, writers out there. I wish more people yeah. would. Yeah, the Vices and the Voxes of the world uh, still think that journalism matters. So it's 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 a point of pride, I suppose, for our publishers here. Uh, and uh, and with that. Mike, speaking of pride, enthusiasm, uh, emotion, because that's there's there's really a lot of ways to describe that pretty intense six game series the Wizards just got over uh, with the Atlanta Hawks, um, and a lot of that stems from that head to head point guard matchup that was was amazing to watch. Actually, it was 
Schroeder kind of uh, showed me a little something at least, but ultimately John Wall had the last laugh here. So tell me about where you think this Wizards team goes from that emotional high of, of winning uh, a game six on a Friday night and then having to turn it around and come at one o'clock p.m. East Coast time on Sunday. And we're recording this on a Saturday, I should say. They're going to start the series with the Celtics. So tell me about where their mindset is and your opinion and, and kind of how you think they move into the Celtics series. And then we'll get Pina's uh, knee-jerk, immediate Celtics reaction. I mean, you know what's funny is people in D.C. know that that's just how this team is. Like, they're a bunch of woofers. They're a bunch of loud <laughs> – they're a bunch of loudmouths. It's sort of the, the identity of their team. And especially John Wall is – you know, I <laughs> – I was in D.C. just before the playoffs spending some time with the team. And, you know, at one point during, you know, the whole conversation, you know, they were asking John about who's the best trash talker in the league. And he said, well, nobody, because nobody's allowed to trash talk. You know, back in the day, I used to be able to trash talk so much more that nobody's Mm -hmm. a trash talker now. Well, he certainly did a lot of trash talking in that, uh, you know, (laughs) game six victory, the Julio Jones moment, uh, the Dennis Schroeder. I just think that's the identity of this team. They're just a bunch of, you know, they're very – they play with a chip on their shoulder, and when they're at their best, you know, that's sort of what fuels them, and it pisses off a lot of their opponents, I'm sure. But, you know, that's the identity of the team. So where are they at? Like, to me, that was just another day at the office. That's just who that's the kind of team they are, you know? Well, it, feel, it feels like there's, like, a great correlation here. I want to get Pina's thought on this because I see a lot of that in the Celtics, too. Like, their mentality stems from Isaiah standing right in front of anybody on the basketball court and saying, I'm right here. Uh, so what do you think about that, Pina, as a, as a mouth-to-mouth matchup, as my dog chimes in? Mouth-to-mouth matchup? <laughs> yes, the mouth-to-mouth matchup. It's, it's, it's wow. the battle of voices on the court. <laughs> no, it's it's so funny. Like that's Those are the first things that I wrote down in my notes preparing for this podcast. Just like, I don't think the Celtics have uh, looked as confident since Brad Stevens uh, was hired since... Uh, uh, like from their play over the last few games. And it goes back to, you know, Marcus Smart um, and his war of words with Jimmy Butler being not about this life. <laughs> Kelly Olynyk is, has showed more emotion on the floor in this series than he has in every minute previous to it in his entire career. Uh, Avery Bradley after the other, after uh, game six last night uh, was talking about how Jimmy Butler didn't respect him and he, Seemed pretty pissed off about it. I, I mean, this team is just playing. They're talking a lot. And as we know from the regular season head-to-head with the Wizards, uh, these guys do not like each other. Uh, so, I mean, I was at that game in Boston when they had to have um, police, uh, six police officers between the two locker rooms. Oh, my God. Um, the Jake it was boop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, these guys don't like each other. I think the series is going to be uh, just so much fun. Now, do you think that their their talking comes from a slightly different place? I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, are, we we can both agree that they're sort of a very both teams are chip on their shoulder teams, which is why they naturally clash. Um, but I, I think there's a little bit of a different character to it. You know, I think the Wizards are the kind of team that's like the kick you while you're down. Like, kind of we're gonna like when we win. And when we beat you, like we we're gonna let you know about it. I think the Celtics is more of a defensive posture. It's like you don't really respect us uh, because we're the we're led by the five nine guy that was drafted sixtieth in the draft, and we've got you know the guy who wasn't the best player on Marquette or like the guy who you know people didn't think was a point guard or whatever. And 
I, I think it comes from like a slightly more defensive posture with the Celtics, where I think the Wizards, it's like an aggressive, you know, they, they both believe they don't aren't respected enough, but I think the Wizards have this confidence that they have the best players and teams, and that's sort of what they've built over the years with Paul Pierce being there and all that. Whereas with the Celtics, I think it comes from more, something that's more that they've been counted out rather than the Wizards. You know, I, I think it's it's coming from a slightly different posture, which is why I think it's interesting. Does that make any sense? No, that's. I think that's a great point. Like, you look at the Wizards, their three best players were all top three picks, right? Wall was first, Beal was third, Otto Porter was third. Uh, so they have that blue chip pedigree. And then you look at the Celtics and, you know, Isaiah was picked last in the draft. Um, everybody's kind of undersized. Uh, they've spent a lot of time guarding up a position this season. And that's when they're at their best, I think, when they have that underdog mentality, uh, when they're guarding up a position, when they're, when they're uh, able to just be as physical as possible with the opponent. And I think they've kind of assumed more the mentality. They're better when they've assumed when they assume the mentality of Isaiah as opposed to the mentality of Al Horford, which I think sometimes does tend to happen with this team where they get a little passive. They kind of realize that they are the one seed and they are a very talented team. And maybe they rely too much on just their ball movement and, and the three point shot as opposed to, you know, where they make their money, which is on the defensive end, um, on the ball, their perimeter defense. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, Mike. Part of it, too, I think, is that the Celtics derive their mentality from that group. Like, altogether, you kind of get the the full mental composition of the Celtics. Whereas I look at the Wizards, and this speaks to Mike's point, I guess, as having just, like, very uh, um, sharp personalities all throughout. Like, Markeith Morris is, like, a really tough guy from Philadelphia who probably isn't backed down from anything in his life. Uh, and that plays out on the court. Yeah, uh, specifically in that last series against he's like, yeah, Millsap's a better player. I don't give a shit. Like I'm going to come right at him the entire series. And by the end, he had a couple of the biggest blocks, you know, in, in uh, yesterday's game uh, on Friday night, uh, you know, on Millsap in the fourth quarter. So, you know, it's it's funny to see kind of like these personalities clash. And the beauty of this series is they're, you know, the position matchups go pretty one to one like Beal and Avery Bradley. That's great. Let's get into the breakdown of the series now a little bit, guys, and tell me where you see kind of uh, uh, the X's and O's playing out. Let's start with that, uh, those, you know, the, the front court, or I'm sorry, back court matchup there. Let's talk about Beal and Bradley first, and then maybe as Smart rotates into that as well. How do the Celtics' peanut uh, look to guard a guy like Beal? Because you're, you're going to assume Wall's going to have a nice series here with his matchup uh, with Isaiah, but I feel like this might be the most important, and, and Prada will get your answer in a second here. But uh, you tell me how you think they're going to deal with, with Bradley Beal in this series. Yeah, I think they'll start off with um, Avery Bradley on him. Uh, Bradley's coming off a just absolute, some of the best basketball he's played in his entire career was the la three of the last four games when, you know, Brad Stevens made the decision to go small, put Gerald Green in for Amir Johnson. And uh, a lot of people rightfully point out the the advantages there were on the offensive end where they were allowed to space the floor. But I think the bigger thing was it moved Jay Crowder off Jimmy Butler, moved Bradley onto Jimmy Butler, and he was just tremendous. So I think you put Bradley on uh you put Bradley on Beal. Um and uh, you know uh, a question. <laughs> well done, well done. You, put, you actually put Bradley before Beal. That's how his birth certificate is written out. Sure. Yes. <laughs> But I, I think <laughs> I think who Isaiah guards is a it's a big question in this series, obviously, 
but I think the bigger one is how the Wizards guard Isaiah, because I don't think either of these teams was able to stop the other one in the regular season. Both had a ton of success scoring the ball. Uh, so I think that's probably just as big of a question. I know everyone's going to talk about how the Wizards are going to attack Isaiah on every possession, but I think the other way around, trying to stop the Isaiah Horford pick and roll, which was it's had so much success all season long and in that series, I think that's just as as critical. So here's my question: Are do you think the Celtics are going to stick with this Gerald Green at that? playing starting over Amir Johnson thing in this series, uh, especially because the Wizards love that traditional starting five. I mean, are they are they going to go back to Amir? Like, what are they going to do there? Yeah, I've thought about that a lot. Uh, I have no I, – I mean, I would probably keep things how they are for game one, to be honest. Um, I'm not sure how dangerous – you know, Gerald Green's defense is – you know, it's, it's not great. It wasn't great in that series. And – uh, putting him on someone like Otto Porter, I don't know if the Wizards would be able to attack that uh, as or take advantage of it. Um, but that be, that being said, the Celtics have had so much success all year with that normal starting five uh, with Amir at the at the four. So I don't know if they go back to that. And, and I've kind of struggled uh, to answer that question over the past couple of days myself. Well, I don't think. I don't know if it's just so easy to start green against the Wizards because uh, there's one thing that the Wizards do is that they kind of find the weak spot and then they just pick at it. I mean, that's sort of their offense, you know, right? So it's not mm-hmm. – if you now are throwing Isaiah that you're already kind of having to kind of move around to see who he guards and how to hide him. And they're doing all this creative stuff to get him off Jimmy Butler during the, the first round and whatever. But then you toss Gerald Green in there. I mean, I think that's too much – that's too many places to hide. Or to make play people to attack, you know, and only one of those two can guard Otto Porter. The other two have got to be one of the other two has got to be on Waller Beal, and I think that's problematic because those guys, first of all, are not going to be afraid to just go one on one. But second of all, you know, they're going to run pin down after pin down after pin down for Bradley Beal on off March and Gortat, and that's hard to guard for even a good defender, you know. And they're just going to pick at that scab. So I, I think yeah. it's a really interesting question. I don't know if like Gerald Green. You know, maybe they start Marcus Smart this series. You know, maybe that makes more sense because I agree with you that if you put Al Horford at the five and you're now making March and Gortat guard him, that's a problem. And it's, it doesn't really matter, I think, who's the primary guy on Isaiah because he'll trade between Wall. Sometimes it'll be Beal. I bet it'll be a lot more Beal than Wall in this series. You know, and then you'll see Otto. And, well, you know, they'll, they'll, they switch around those matchups a lot. The problem is if Al Horford is the five, you know, and – Gortat has to guard him. That is going to be a really tough cover for both. That that pick and roll is going to be really hard for them to guard. And it, it's going to be hard if it's Markeith Morris too, but even harder. So can you afford to stay small against the Wizards' backcourt to get the advantage that you would get from that Isaiah Horford pick and roll? Because it wasn't. It really wasn't working that well until they moved Gerald Green to the starting lineup, and then it was unstoppable. Right. You need to draw Gortat out of the rim and uh, out of the paint. And, you know, Horford, when he sets the screen like five, ten feet above the three-point line, that's when it's extremely difficult to guard because I don't think Gortat is fleet of foot enough to stick with Isaiah as Robin Lopez was not. Uh, I have thought about Marcus Smart in the starting lineup, and that's something I think they'll turn to if they struggle right away with whatever they initially try to do. Uh, But they really like Marcus, uh, you know, coming off the bench, playing him as the lead ball handler when Isaiah rests. Uh, so 
I don't think they'll go to that right away, but that's definitely an option uh, at some point in the series. Well, it's tricky. I'm not sure what what they do. Um, you know, I, and I think Bradley's presence to go back to the original question is key because you know I, I remember thinking after the uh, that very famous game where the Wizards were all, all black and all that that oh boy man like Boston's just not going to be able to hide Isaiah Thomas like they just hunted him down. And then I forgot that Bradley didn't play in that game. And I was like, okay, you know, Bradley's obviously an important player, but that doesn't change the dynamic. But when they play later in the year, like Bradley, that did change the dynamic a lot more than I expected. Now, the Wizards were not playing well at the time. They were, I think, on a long road trip. It was not a great point in the schedule. But that, if I'm a Wizards fan, that scares me a little bit that Bradley was able to be so effective on both ends. You know, just even if, you know, Bradley versus Smart, as that other guard is, is a big difference and whether he's guarding wall or Beal, you know, and then you toss in the offense like that, that actually did matter more than I expected. Uh, so, well, wow, that was good guys. I, I really didn't have to ask any questions. You guys had like the perfect, uh, perfect flow of back and forth analysis there. I was going to say, if there's one thing that we didn't get to right now, cause we should touch on a couple of the other series. Um, each of you give me a key kind of like a question you have, we'll say, for the enemy here. It's an interesting situation to be able to have a, a spokesperson for each team at such an opportune time here. Yeah, I'm paid, the series. Paid, paid by the team, spokesperson. Paid by the teams. Team. Yes, that's great. It's, well, this <laughs> is your opportunity, people. Mike. Mike just spent some time hanging out in D.C. recently, everyone. So be on the be on the lookout. Anyway, Mike. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Give me a, next week. Give me your, next week. <laughs> next week. Next week. Be uh. Give me what's your question for Pino? If you had like one one dying question, you were looking for uh you know some more information about uh that you know pertains to the Celtics. I I think I asked it already, which is what are they going to do with their starting five this series? Um, mm. that was kind of the big question I had. Um, you know, I guess the the other thought is you know what. Do they is Horford is if Horford's going to play a five all the time, you know, can they rebound well enough? I mean, the Wizards aren't quite as good an offensive rebounding team as the Bulls. I mean, and I guess the other thing is like, so we saw a lot of creative stuff with how they hit Isaiah in the Bulls series. Like, what are they going to do there, and how can the Wizards exploit that? Yeah, that's a very tricky <laughs> problem for the Celtics that. I'm not sure. I mean, they had, you know, they switched, they've hedged, uh, they even trapped Jimmy Butler a bunch uh, and just kind of let Isaiah Cannon launch open threes that he mostly bricked. Um, so I don't, I, I think they'll switch it up uh, as much as possible. Uh, they did some uh, interesting zony type things that Zach Lowe wrote about where when the screener would come up, they just kind of pass him off. Uh, after with Isaiah, they'd put Isaiah in the corner. Uh, I think they'll try to do that as as much as possible. But it's it's a tricky it, it's a tricky thing that the Celtics need to navigate here, which is why uh, I think you know the the way that they win this series is on the offensive end more than the defensive end. Uh, and and when obviously uh, you know the Wizards uh, go to their bench, that'll be a time for the Celtics to really attack. They've had. Uh, some success over the past uh, couple games here with Isaiah on the bench, which is a very hopeful sign with the emergence of Olenek, who I mentioned before, he's played extremely well. And then also Terry Rogier, who's been a revelation <laughs> relatively based on his expectations uh, in that series. So, but if I had to just switching it up yeah, and asking Mike a quick question, sure. Like, when I look at this series, I think it, it can Washington score in the half court is kind of 
where I see, like, if they can't score in the half court, I don't know how they generate enough offense to to beat the Celtics. Do you uh, agree, disagree? How do, how do you look no, at I, that? And kind I th- of, I think it's a really good point. You know, the Wizards are incredible off defensive rebounds and off steals. You know, they just it's so hard to guard them. But if you slow the game down to sludge, their off their half court offense is a little predictable. You know, again, it's sort of like the picking the scabs all offense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like they're running super creative stuff and they can get stagnant, you know, and to me, the big key here, and it's the key to the entire team, I think is Markeith Morris. You know, he's a barometer player for this team. You know, if he's giving them a little bit of a diet of kind of post-up plays and good, good screening and hitting some shots, I mean, they're, they're able to score a lot more easily. You know, if he's not, then they're really struggling. And, you can tell whether he's into the game based on stuff that doesn't happen on offense, but it sort of translates to how he does on offense. And that I think is really important, you know, because otherwise, like you said, they do sort of get stagnant and, you know, but at this against Atlanta, I think the saving grace they had was that Atlanta was such a poor shooting team and they sort of were daring Atlanta to shoot that they could secure a lot of those rebounds and go, I don't know if it's going to be that easy against Boston. Now, Boston has these stretches where they can't make anything. You know, They have stretches where they make everything, and but they also have stretches where they can't make anything. And so maybe the half-court issue is not as much of an issue as it seems because, look, when Marcus Smart is in the game, like they're going to let him shoot, and they're going to grab the rebound and go. And that's, you know, even if you're a good defensive team, that's really hard to stop. But, no, I think it's the scoring in the half-court is going to be a really interesting dilemma, I would say, for them. And... I think Morris is the key guy. You know, if he's if he's playing well, that team is really tough to beat on both ends. And if he's not, if he's kind of in foul trouble or if he's not engaged or if he's not doesn't get a couple early, you always notice they get him the ball early to try to keep him going. Mm-hmm. You, know, you see him, they'll run a lot of really basic after timeout plays for him to get the ball in the post. I think they they know how important he is. And that's going to be the difference and you know, he's going to if they were Celtics go small, I would assume what Jake Crowder will guard him. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would yeah. think, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be an interesting matchup because the Wizards are going to try to post him to take advantage of that, but I don't know if that's necessarily a winning strategy in the long run. So That's a physical matchup there, too. That's That'll be a fun one. Yeah. So yeah. Cool. So let's let's net this out and move on. Um, uh, Pino, you can go first. How's this play out? Uh, I'm going to go Celtics and seven. Um, right. I, I just think their offense is – when it when it hums and it really has with Horford at the five, I mean Horford when he's playing extremely well offensively, this team is very very difficult to beat because you know he brings it defensively. He's he's really upped his aggressiveness on the glass recently, which is uh, not as necessary against the Wizards as it was in the previous series, but it's still pretty key when they're that small. But just it goes back to Isaiah and the fact that they advanced and won four in a row with him shooting the ball as poorly as he has. I don't think he shoots as poorly in this series, too. So that that would be my guess, just Celtics in seven. Okay. Prada? I'm taking Washington to win in six. I think they're, <laughs> the dilemma that Boston has of who Isaiah Thomas guards is going to really hurt them. You know, because even if you stick him on Porter, the Wizards are going to find him, and Porter is a really good offensive rebounder as well. So you're going to have a size issue. Also, it's hard for him to close out. So I I think the Wizards will win this in six. I think it's going to they're going to be able to score. I think Boston will have too many games where they're cold, and that will just trigger the transition game. Uh, and I'm not sure they can go as small as easily as they did uh, against Chicago. So. 
I'm taking the Wizards. All right. Well, I like a seven-game series here. Break I like tie. a seven-game series here. <laughs> <laughs> I like a seven-game series here, and um, I, I think that Wall's the best player in the series. He showed me something. I don't know, not just over the course of the... I, I've been watching more critically of him this year because I think I made negative comments about John Wall in like our preseason Wizards uh, um, podcast many, many months ago. Anyhow, I should have excommunicated you after those. Yeah, yeah, Mike just burned me for those. But the point being here, uh, um, you know, I'm not sure how many point guards are actually better in the NBA than John Wall from a whole game standpoint. The, the tempo that he got to kind of dictate last series was, was really special to see. And, uh, and that goes in the face of being, you know, going against Schroeder, who's, who's very fast. And the Hawks in general have some interesting players to run up down the court. Having said that, um, I think I like the Celtics to win this series in seven on their home court. Um, other than, wow, other what than a the stunner. Fact, yeah. Other than the fact that, um, I do think it will go seven. I, one of the things I've always kind of int- been interested in about this Celtics team in particular is, can you play smart in big minutes given he is such a bad shooter? We just saw this play out with Roberson, and I'm very interested to see how that plays out here too because I think ultimately he'll be playing some extra minutes as someone who can rotate onto both Wall and Beal um, when they have to switch a lot. So um, interested to see how that plays out. He could be can I, key to the series could be Marcus Smart's jump shot. Can I stand up for Marcus Smart for just like two seconds? Yeah, go for it. You only get two seconds. <laughs> okay, I I don't think he's as bad of a shooter as you know as or as much of a liability as someone okay. like Robertson. Uh, I mean, he's like an eighty percent free throw shooter. He's fairly good when open in the corners. I personally have confidence whenever he lets it go. Uh, when there's no defender within five or six feet of him. Uh, and if I just had to say, the biggest weakness in Marcus Smart's game, in my opinion, is how he decelerates on drives to the basket and he can't has he has no explosion off of one leg. That would be my, whenever I watch him play, that's the most frustrating aspect, much more so than, than the jumper. And he does close. I mean, Brad Stevens doesn't even think twice about taking him off the floor and at the end of games, just because of his impact in every other area besides sure. the shooting. I, yeah. But those two weaknesses though, like, no, he's not Andre Robertson. Like, I okay. mean, no. you're, Ben, you could shoot better on those open threes than Robertson yes. did. You know, he's not that bad, but they treat they, the wizards are not going to guard him, you know, and he's yeah. going to have to, Make shots and like when he misses again, the value of a long rebound against the Wizards is much different than it is against the Bulls. And the value sure. of a turnover when you drive too hard to the basket and you throw up a wild shot, you know, that value is much higher. It's a much bigger problem against the Wizards than it is against the Bulls because they just yeah. turn those into, into fast breaks. Yeah, that's a great point. And so if you're going to – like to me, I think if you're going to beat the Wizards, you have to basically employ the strategy the Hawks did for a while, which is try to pound the ball and you know force them to foul You know, because they do sort of get undisciplined on defense and they foul, slow the game down to sludge and make them play kind of the half-court game. And if you're launching a lot of threes and they're not going in, like that's not playing the half-court game. Yeah, yeah. And then back to the beginning, the personalities in this series are fantastic. So winning on the other team's home court doesn't feel too out of reach for either team. So um, when is the I first altercation going to be? Uh, first, first, second quarter of game one. There'll be there'll be some kind of <laughs> mix up. I think, for sure. I think they'll be I think they'll be well behaved in game one because they'll oh. be kind of on a high alert. I think it's game two where we'll see the first thing. Okay. And who's going to yeah. be involved? That's actually the other question. Brandon Jennings and Marcus Smart is my opinion. <laughs> Brandon Jennings is a good call. Um, yeah. That's a good idea. I, I don't think it's going to be smart, though. I feel like it's going to be someone that's totally not 
on the peri- like involved in oh, anything I feel before. Like, like Morris and Crowder feels good too. The first time there's kind of like Morris goes down low, gives him like the one shoulder, second shoulder, then a flop comes and then he says something to him, and that will be the first time that, that that'll happen. Yep. Um, you guys know exactly visually. You both just saw exactly what I meant too. I, I do. appreciate that. I'm also <laughs> thinking like there will be like a steal and, and Morris will foul too hard in a transition opportunity <laughs> for one of the guards and that'll trigger them. I'm, I'm yep. s- sensing something like that. Yeah. Yeah. The big brother move. That's the Morris move. Yeah. So like, like I'm Morris, my guys. Morris and like Terry Rozier. <laughs> I mean, Kelly Olenek is probably the dark horse to be involved in the first scrap up. He seems to always have his nose involved with the physical play as well. Uh, does not shy away at all. His nose so. and his shoulder yanking yes. <laughs> weird spots. His, his red arms that get like just slashed to pieces. God, he got fouled. Who, who was it that slapped him? Was it Butler? Who just slapped the shit out of his arm? <laughs> Do you remember that play? Oh, was yeah, it like, was it yesterday? Was it yesterday? Or was, it was it like, no? It was two games ago. It was prior. It was not last game. The game before. He got like. I mean, he was slapped so viciously that you know he had the handprint, but the handprint was like almost a laceration. Like it was, oh like, yes, really... yes, that's right. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was Jimmy Butler. Yeah, <laughs> and he like uh, said okay. something to the ref like that was excessive, and the ref was, you could hear him whisper back like on your arm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyhow, let's move on to the uh, the second most intriguing matchup, if not maybe the most intriguing matchup of round two. Um, let's talk about the Rockets and Spurs. Um, yes, Prada in confidence. What's that? You said let's? Let's do this. Okay. In confidence, Mike has told me many times, like Prada that is, that uh, this is the Rocket series to lose and, and not the vice versa. So talk me through that, and then we'll we'll move into the conversation from there. I mean, I just don't think the Spurs are as good as their record. You know, I, I never have. I think they needed a huge Kawhi Leonard performance and a throwback Tony Parker game six to advance in the, against the Grizzlies. You know, and the Rockets just have so much more scoring talent. And – when you play the Spurs, I think you can help off a lot of their guys. And the Houston, that will mask, I think, some of the Houston's defensive problems. And on the other hand, you know, I'm not sure unless Kawhi Leonard can guard Harden 48 minutes, which I don't think he can, I'm not sure the Spurs have really figured out a secondary, like kind of here's how we stop the pick and roll plan. You know, and so I, I think Houston's gonna win this series. You said that I, very confidently. Yeah, Pino, what do you think? I, I agree with that. I think that the series will be played on Houston's terms. Um, and, you know, obviously the Spurs like to go big. I agree with everything that Mike said about how they really needed heroic performances out of Kawhi. And I just wrote a piece about that and how, uh, you know, the Spurs are, are kind of known as the altruistic offensive system, the unselfish basketball, ball movement everywhere. And... Kawhi leads his position right now, or leads all forwards uh, in unassisted makes in the playoffs. Yeah, man, that's right. (laughs) Maybe this is literally exactly what I was saying in the MVP debate, and you still didn't listen to me. I listened to you. I listened to you. I want to be on the right side of history here, Mike. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, Ryan Anderson, if you just put him – if you put the – just if we're comparing the starting fives and we have Mm -hmm. dead men on the floor with Aldridge, I don't know – that's just not a good matchup at all for the Spurs. So, I mean, I could, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Pop put in a, a Jonathan Simmons or someone like that to to guard uh, Ryan Anderson. You know, th- just looking at their numbers during the regular season, Spurs had a lot of success this year with Simmons on the floor. I don't know if that was guarding Sim or guarding Anderson, excuse me, in that specific matchup, but. Uh, it reminds me of a game, a random game earlier this year when the New Orleans Pelicans 
uh, blew out the Rockets when they put uh, Solomon Hill on Ryan Anderson. And it, it was just a terrible, terrible situation for Houston. And so I think going smaller, going smaller, being a little bit more versatile would be a, a card that Popovich might have to play. He's been reluctant to play it, though. Uh, and the other mm-hmm. thing is that, at least in the first-round series, you know, the Rockets' best lineup was when they downsized even further and took Ryan Anderson mm-hmm. out of the game and played Ariza at the four. And, you know, the one the one monkey wrench, I think, if you have for Houston is that, you know, I don't know if you can argue if Kawhi is the best player in the series or not, but he's going to be the most sort of, t- on both ends, he's going to be the one with the most ability, I think, to control the series, which is that if it's like the Memphis series and he's just drawing fouls left and right and he has the ball all the time, plus he can then check your best guy, which he did with Conley a lot, like that is the only way I think that the series really turns because you know Harden could do that but he still needs that sort of system to be able to do it the same way. You know, Kawhi could be like a force of nature in this series in a way Harden can. And I mean, that to me, that's the Spurs' only chance because you know you have a reason to guard Harden or guard Kawhi. But if you do downsize and the Spurs don't downsize, then you're going to have to put a small guy on someone else that's much bigger. And so then you run into problems there for Houston. So that to me is their only chance. You know, the yeah. Spurs, even though they have more wins, like they're just. Because I don't think that the Spurs are going to be able to trot out a lineup to that where the Rockets can't play that three guard like look in the second quarter with Lou, Beverly, mm-hmm. and Gordon. Like there's yeah. some t- like if you do that against the Warriors, I think you're in trouble. But if you do that against San Antonio, like who's the guy that's not Kawhi that's that's taking advantage of you there? No, I think. I, I, sorry to cut you off, Ben. No, go ahead, go ahead. Um, I think the the like the fundamental flaw with we all talk about the supporting casts here with Houston and Oklahoma city and like Kawhi kind of did almost everything, you know, Tony Parker did have a, a couple of nice games. He also went scoreless, I believe in game three, but <laughs> like he, the San Antonio Spurs don't really have much of a supporting cast for Kawhi. I think that's an understated uh, narrative. And like you look at Danny green, I think he's lost a step defensively. He used to be one of the best. I mean, in transition, he's still fantastic, but he was getting roasted by Mike Conley throughout that series whenever they had him on him. So I don't know, like if you start with Danny on Harden, just because you don't want Kawhi to pick up cheap fouls and you know, Danny doesn't win that matchup, but there's really no one else on the team besides Kawhi who's creating, you know, shots for themselves and shots for, teammates especially in crunch time yeah. so, well, so i think it's a big problem what do you think about this when they played uh, in that great game in march where Kawhi had his like mvp moment you know mm-hmm. they they had a stretch where they put Kawhi and ryan anderson and lamarcus aldridge and trevor Ariza. like do you think that they might do that again yeah 100 percent. and and the reason of course is that you can switch the pick and roll with harden and anderson that way right and you I mean, you 100, you basically eviscerate Anderson from the equation. And yeah, you're right. You can switch it a little bit more versatile. Um, the beauty of playing Kawhi at the four is just like he's such a great rebounder at his position, too. And I just, I say this a lot, but I, I just really wish Popovich leaned on that option more than he does. And I think he will, and well, I think he has to in this series. Yeah. No, it's interesting that like people like Aldridge, uh, I guess specifically Aldridge aren't being spoken of more here, but the fact that he's really not part of the offensive conversation because you just can't rely on him to get buckets anymore in isolation. He's really just like a, 
a glorified David West and how they used him in that uh, on their team, which is kind of a crazy thing to say about LaMarcus Aldridge, but I think you guys would probably agree. Um, I guess my other question. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Mike. Yeah, I mean, he's just he is who he is, right? Like there are yeah, times yeah, where yeah. he can get you buckets, you know. But he's kind of at a, he he still has some times, but yeah, he's yeah, just no, sort he of at that level, you know. It's he's not been, like yeah, no, yeah. He's he's been really good. His synergy numbers in the post have mm-hmm. been really really good. But the thing is, he doesn't demand the double teams like he used to in Portland, Let's or see, yeah, exactly and he doesn't good. and he doesn't really. Uh, you know, he's down low. He, he, where he is on the floor is different, too. So there really isn't room for cutters yeah. to come through. It's just, it's gross when you give him yeah. the ball. And if he misses it, then there's your possession. <laughs> yeah, he is sure. who he is. He doesn't change. He, he's not going to change what Houston's doing. Whether right. You know, like, and you remember that series a couple of years ago when he was with Portland where he was on fire and he totally scrambled how Houston wanted to defend. And yeah. that's, mm-hmm. you know, with the Lillard shot, yes. But, like, those first two games is why they won the series portland he's not that guy anymore he you're just gonna let him do his thing you know he's not going to i, I mean if they're smart he's not going to change the game plan right i mean that's yeah. sort of what it really comes down to it's not a slight on him as a player that's just like kind of where he's at you know the only guy who changes game plans on that team is Kawhi leonard yeah that's right and, and that works both ways too i guess that's my question I, i'm always reminded of uh i believe it was gary not gary williams Oh, man, what's his name? Maybe it is. Well, whatever. The Williams defensive coordinator, um, Greg Williams, um, who was in trouble for um, Bounty Gate. You guys remember that little <laughs> mm. thing, right? Yes. He was on tape. He was on tape with a very specific specific message for his defensive uh, unit, which was, uh, and I quote, if you kill the head, the body dies, which is terrible in a sport that we know is actually killing people's heads and their bodies are dying. <laughs> but in basketball, Literally. where none of that but is it, happening, let's talk in about basketball, it. <laughs> there's no CTE to speak of. The point I'm trying to make, though, it feels like the biggest impact Kawhi will have is that if you can truly disrupt what James Harden does on offense, and then that then him being the the head and uh, Harden being the head in this uh, analogy here, that perhaps the D'Antoni body that uh, being the offensive system might might die, and that would be the hope that you could have is relying on Kawhi athletically. He's a freak. How much gas does he have in the tank to do what you guys spoke about from an offensive isolation p- uh, um, uh, perspective, but as well as what's probably most important here in this series, or equally as important, I guess, is his defensive matchup on on James Harden. How do you how do you uh, you know divvy your time and energy specifically? How does Pop work with this t- to stop James Harden? I guess if it's not Kawhi, what other matchups are we going to see? Uh, you know, uh, like Danny Green, maybe Patty Mills, guys like that. How do you anticipate them trying to stop the the James Harden effect on this series? Well, I mean, Mike talked about it a little bit earlier with, you know, switching the Ryan Anderson, mm-hmm. putting Kawhi on Ryan Anderson, being able to switch there. When it's Capella who played terrible in the first round, I mean, what the Thunder did, which was successful more or less, was uh, stick on the three-point shooters and kind of let Harden attack. And he, he's he's not looking right i don't know if it's the i know he talked about the ankle um but if harden can't go two on two and and beat that matchup and you know when they that's kind of that plays really into uh san antonio's hands when they have guys like gasol and aldridge on the floor just these like really long trees who can put Mm -hmm. their hands up and they're much more effective near the basket than they are in space so I think you sag the bigs and you stay home in the three point line and 
you kind of goad Harden into uh, like a 50 point outing. That that would be my strategy. I don't, yeah. but that's what would you do, Mike? Well, see that I, I'm glad you put it that way because that's sort of the antithesis of the head of the snake strategy, right? In a sense, what you're yeah. basically yeah. saying yeah. is that the only right. we're going to we're going to let the head do its thing and then feed the head, feed the head. <laughs> like you're basically like kind of making fattening up the head and the body is like this tiny little coil still, <laughs> you know, it's sort of the, the, I don't know where this is going, but that's what if Greg Williams, what if Greg Williams used that analogy in the locker room? He's like, all right, well gather around, gather around. We're going to feed the head a lot of food, make the body you know, real little. And then, then we're going to take a pin. It's almost it. like, it's almost like you're putting so much food in the, in, in the mouth that they can't swallow. Right. I like that. Yeah, that, was, that was good. <laughs> right. But uh, it is a it is a worthy question. It's like, what is the juice that gets the Rockets going? Is it Harden or is it their ability to launch forty plus threes a game? Right, and that it may it may be the second one. I have yet to see a team that's consistently been able to prevent the Rockets from taking threes. You know, but if anyone's going to do it, it will be the Spurs. With you know, I'd be very curious to see like. Do they one thing I've kind of wondered about why don't teams do this more often is you know how we always stick you always stick the the tallest player closest to the basket where he has to roam the least and all that like why don't teams do more of like just have the big biggest dude like rim protect the three point line and like if the guy gets around him like just track him and then he has to kind of be thinking about like oh god there's this huge dude who's behind me you know, like, why don't more teams do that? I always wonder this. You know, why doesn't Utah do that with Gobert if they play the Warriors? Like, why doesn't why doesn't San Antonio do that with, like, LaMarcus Aldridge? You know, it's like, okay, if you get beat, that's, like, if he gets by you, like, that's fine. You just have to track back. And That's kind of what they did. Step. That's kind of their strategy against the Warriors now. Right. And so if they do that, that may be, that will raise some interesting questions about how Houston's offense works. Like, I don't... I don't think that's going to work, but that to me is the best chance where you, it's not, you know, can we stop Harden? It's, can we prevent them from just launching so many threes that it becomes a math problem? When I look at the Rockets roster though, like these aren't Danny Green's supporting Harden. Like Lou Williams is a bucket getter off the dribble and he draws fouls and he's got a nice little mid range game and he's got a floater and Eric Gordon can get to the basket and get to the free throw line and they can create off the dribble for others. So, well, the other thing is they they shoot long threes, which I think is really Mm -hmm. underrated. Like it's, you have to, you can run them off the line and they can still pull up for three with the way they stand so far back on the wings. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing I think that makes it hard. I love watching Lou Williams play well, by the way. Just made me feel good. You just wanted to prove me wrong. Yes, exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. I, I said he'd be a key last series, and I took, like, immediate heat. was like, no, he's always awful in the playoffs. You remember those other? And it's like, all right, all right, all right, all right. I got it, I got it. And then he was it was pretty spectacular. Um, cool. Uh, should we touch on? Do you guys want to do, like, five quick minutes on uh, on the Cavs uh, and, and Golden State in their respective series here? Should we pick one of them? How do you want to do this, Prado? Well, we don't know who's Golden State's playing yet, so let's talk about the Cavs. Yeah. Okay, um, okay. We'll, wait. we'll wait for Golden State. So let's just you, do the one we know. So do you guys think that this will be a hard series for the Cavs? I kind of think it will be, but I know that's hard to say when you look at the way the Raptors closed down Milwaukee in that whole series. They didn't exactly inspire confidence, but I kind of think this will be a little harder for Cleveland than we think. I... I don't. I don't think so. You don't think so? 
No, I don't know. I just I'm, I've every time that we try to put a roadblock in front in, in the Eastern Conference in front of this Cleveland team, uh, it always turns out to be a moot point, kind of. And now, I'm not saying that Toronto uh, showed us exactly who we are last series. And we've talked about how Milwaukee's pretty awkward. It's hard to really take much from that series in terms right. of like film to watch per se. No one's going to defensively approach anybody the same way that Milwaukee does, specifically with their athletes they have. Right. Exactly. Um, I mean, you can toss that. To me, you can toss that series out. You're right. I, I, I tend to agree with that, but I never thought, you know, I guess I'm just trying, trying to stay true with what I thought previously going into the Eastern Conference here, which was that Cleveland really wouldn't have much of a, a tussle uh, until potentially the, the finals against either the Wizards or Boston, who I think are just more interesting matchups. Um, I, I guess the thing I keep coming back to here is Lowry needs to play incredible. He needs to be someone who pushes Kyrie to have to use more energy on defense than he wants to, so he's not as good on offense. So that makes LeBron wear the brunt of the offensive responsibility. Because one of the things that, that Cleveland gets away with is they can switch on and off of who they want to use their energy on offense, and it works. Um, and they, they got away with that, you know, nice and easy. And against the Pacers, I'm I'm interested though to see what Lowry has to offer for Kyrie. I always like that matchup one to one. Um, Pina, I'm interested to hear what you think here. Obviously, I, I kind of just abruptly said that I don't think that it's going to be much of a tussle. What do you think? I think it'll be – well, so the big question to me is, you know, Cleveland's defense, but I don't know mm-hmm. if Toronto's offense is something that can really test it. But sure. I, I think it'll be competitive. I think Abaka looks physically much, 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 much better than I expected him to. I mean, I mean some of the uh, – just the contests – Forget about like the blocks, like his ability to rotate over and really meet guys at the rim, specifically Giannis Antetokounmpo, mm-hmm. which was just, I mean, he was so ridiculously physically active in that series. I think uh, he makes things interesting when Toronto goes small. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, the Cleveland Cavaliers win close games in the at the beginning of the second quarter when LeBron is on the floor with just four shooters. He's at the four, and it's just it, they're. The bench, it's like LeBron and the bench uh, to, to kind of combat the Lowry plus bench units. But I think mm-hmm. at the beginning of the second quarter is when LeBron is just he's, he's operating in space and he's just demolishing opponents and they and they go on these little uh, 6-0, 8-0 runs. I think that's where they win these ball games. Well, it's where they won them last year, right? Yeah. I mean, that was the the reason that that series got out of hand is that the Raptors had no ability to guard the spread lineups. And they had no ability to guard LeBron, so that's like a double whammy. Now, this year, they have players they can put on LeBron. I, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, like, how much does P.J. Tucker play versus DeMar Carroll? Like, how – in that last series, it took a couple games for, for Casey to realize that, that Valanciunas just wasn't going to work as a starter. Like, what do you do with him now, especially when you consider that the the Cavs get stretchiest when, you, when Valanciunas would be the biggest liability later on? in the game. So do you start Valanchunas? Do you like you would, if you didn't start Valanchunas, you'd be tempted to play him during those LeBron bench units that he would have nobody to guard anyone. So what do you do there? Um, I think it might take them a little too long to figure that out, but at the same time, the Raptors last year didn't have anyone to check LeBron. They have those players now. I mean, nobody can check LeBron, but they've got better personnel to do it. The Raptors, the Raptors could, did, had no personnel to play those small lineups. This year they do. They have that personnel. Ibaka at the five. You know They can roll that lineup out, and they're, they're more daring to do that. Last year, DeRozan had a very good series against them. You know yeah, They did. had trouble guarding him. They're going to have even more trouble guarding him this series. And then it just comes down to, like, it, 
can Kyle Lowry have a good series? Like the the conditions are set up for him to have a good series. You just have to see if it will actually happen with him. But you know, if Kyle Lowry plays at his level, like I think this this will be tough for Cleveland. You know, they they did sweep the Pacers, but they didn't win those. They had problems in those games. They, they couldn't really stop anyone. They also sort of employed like a very you know let's not guard this dude sort of defense on guys like Lance and uh, Glenn Robinson and. Monte Ellis, Monte. you know, these are guys, they're able to survive by trapping the hell out of Indiana. I don't know if you can do that as easily. I guess you can off DeRozan in some ways. You know, I guess it, if they play Delon right, I think they still could. And maybe they'll they'll make Tucker hit a shot. But I think it's going to be harder for them. And it's going to come down to more how they stop their own guy. And that's still my big question with them. And I'm not saying they're going to lose the series. But I, I it wouldn't surprise me if this goes six or seven. So do you think Valanciunas, Valanciunas gets booted from the rotation altogether? I don't think so because like then then what are you who are you going to play when Abaka sits? Yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't overwhelmingly change your identity to facilitate a matchup. You still kind of have to interject what got you there in, in a way. Well, but I, it's not just that. It's like, okay, so Ibaka can't play 48 minutes, so then who's going to well, play you know, the other, sure. I don't know, 15, I mean, 20 Yeah, I, I, would, I would say you go wing heavy at Patterson at the five. And because, I mean, when they do, I mean, it's not like Channing Fry is, <laughs> like, you can put a small, you can put uh, a Norm Powell on Channing Fry. Maybe you yeah. disagree with that. But, like, I, I don't know. I think if you really downsize, that might be their only, or, or their best chance. I, I just don't. I don't like Valanciunas uh, in this matchup at all, really. I'm, and I'm, I'm kind of just not a fan of his game in general. But specifically, yeah. I mean, that you could open up the door for Tristan Thompson to just slaughter you, and that's that's well, okay. The but, other problem is that if you have no big guys on the floor, then LeBron can get to the rim. You know, you have right. no rim protection. Yeah. Like, like that, to me, what I would do is I would start Valanciunas and then take him out early and just sort of – match Ibaka's minutes more to the the, the smaller lineups and yeah. play Valanciunas when Tristan Thompson's in the game or when Thompson and Love are in the game. And I would sort of try to do it that way. And so that, that when Cleveland is stretchiest, Serge Ibaka is your center and you're smaller. Yeah. But when they're a little more traditional, you keep Valanciunas in. That way you sort of maximize the Ibaka minutes um, while also kind of – preventing a situation where you have to play such a small person, such a small player, and that affects you and that'll hurt you when LeBron's attacking or when Tristan's on the glass. That would be my strategy. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I think I feel like these coaches will have a have a field day with these matchups. I feel like part of it too is that LeBron sees the opportunity immediately when there's no big to just play bully ball. And he does these things. Like he he goes purposely like three dribble into the lane, three dribble into the lane, like multiple possessions in a row to kind of like poke at the other opposing coach to say like, are you making the move? Like, are you going to adjust your lineup? Or I'm going to keep doing this. It's almost like immediate recognition of the coaching change, you know, or, or yeah. the decision. I also think you um, just need, you kind of need arms in the way. And sure. You know, if you play super small, you might give yourself a better chance to stop everyone at the point of attack. Uh, but you may, what may happen is that when you dig down on LeBron, because you're not going to just leave him totally alone, like right. now you have less I, I think this is sort of an underrated reason why um Utah is such a tough matchup is that they go really big on the wings even when they play small. And I think that hurts that makes it tough sometimes for 
on defensive rotations and they're able to just kind of cover more ground. Uh, you know, and now obviously it didn't work in game six and we'll see about game seven, but you know, I think that that's the other thing too, is if you have Valanchunas, at least it's sort of like there's more arms in the way. Um, when yep. LeBron is going to the left block. So I, I don't know. I mean, it is a tough, tough call because I, there are problems with playing Valanchunas for sure. So, so qualify what you mean by a tough series then. Right? I, How many I'm going to go ahead and say this goes seven and I'm going to be okay. bold. I think wow. it's Cavs and seven. Uh, I'll go second. Pina, you could break the tie here. I, I think, uh, I think uh, Cleveland wins in five. Cavs in six. Okay. Yeah. Just, nice. just had to split the difference. <laughs> yes. Love it. Perfect. Um, cool. All right. Well, this is good. This was a lot of fun. We've, we've hit a, a good mark here. Um, I want to go watch the Anthony Joshua Vladimir Klitschko fight because I like boxing. So sorry, guys. <laughs> Uh, this is called heavyweight boxing. Oh, so is this a uh, double MMA? Is that what yeah? This no, is? this is a this is the heavyweight championship of the world. Just so you, everyone knows, boxing in the rest of the world, and it used to be the opposite in America. This was one of the biggest sports. And we could sell out like you know the Silverdome. They're selling out like O2 Arena currently with a hundred thousand people. And our heavyweight champion Wilder, who's a beast by the way, can't sell out like the Memphis Auditorium, uh, where he's from, even uh, in in a fight. So anyhow. I'm going to go watch the heavyweight championship of the world, Anthony Joshua, 18-0, 18 knockouts. Unbelievable. You guys will know his name eventually. Trust me, basketball fans. He'll be a, a, a world superstar. Is he going to be a, you know, a really good basketball player? Is he going to uh, sign <laughs> yeah. for – No, no. Would no. you give, him, would you give with, him a fighting uh, chance in this in this matchup? <laughs> it's a, it depends if Markeith Morris is jabbing at him. Um, <laughs> you know, or the Morris brothers catch him in the wrong alley. He'll, have to, play, he'll have to play triple MMA in order to have a chance. <laughs> God, Mike, Mike and his uh, vast knowledge of the combat sports world. All right, Pina, sorry to bore you with that. Your advice, you guys like these wacky sports like boxing. Um, sure. I think, I so, think, I don't know. Isn't sure. boxing like the most simplest sport ever? You're just punching each other. Like, uh, I mean, Mike, I know there's the sweet science. It's I know the there's technique to it, but like when you say like wacky sport, I envision like something like like that has weird rules and stuff. Where no, no, the what, point what, of, what, the what, point of boxing is to outpunch the other person, is it not? That to me is like the, the simplest, what simplest sort of objective of all. <sighs> That's just that's unless like you're, saying, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say unless you're Floyd Mayweather, then yeah. you're doing a different thing altogether. You're, you're avoiding getting punched. Right? Yes, that's <laughs> the same yes. idea. Exactly. That's, that's an art too, uh, and and so we're clear. That'd be like a a, a boxing fan being like, well, "All basketball is is just ten people throwing a ball into a circular thing ten feet above the ground." Like, I mean, I know, get it, but like, it. okay, basketball yeah. has like way more rules, and they've got the three point line, and they've got multiple players. Like, I'm not saying that boxing is like a simpleton sport. <laughs> I understand that there's like a lot of technique there, but like ultimately, the objective is to outpunch one person is fighting another person in a punching match and yeah. whoever is the best of the punching match wins like that. The very oh, concept of how you decide that's how you decide the victor is simple. Uh, sure. I guess you, you, if you, you boil it don't down, agree. <laughs> I, I mean, just, just in it, I don't want to get too into this. I don't want to extend too much into this podcast, which no, was just so on point And with a clear <laughs> message of the NBA playoffs, let's talk about uh, this some more. Yeah, no, it's just that 
it's just that like boxing is the sweet science because these guys learn everything in numbers and, and in pattern and repetition and code. And it's so much like the nuances of a really good jump shooter, like Ray Allen's mechanics are the way they were because of the repetition and from taking every shot in specific patterns in his career, right? Like coming off a screen, off of a curl, off of a stop, like all the different ways that you would get a punch off or duck or move or the defense of shucking a shoulder and curling around and then throwing a punch. There are a lot of things that happen in boxing that are nuance related, just like any other sport, but ultimately in one-on-one sports, everything can be boiled down to a lot more simplicity. Tennis is not a sport with overwhelming rules. It's one-on-one. So is boxing. But in, in boxing, you're just punching them. In MMA, you're doing all sorts of things. Yes, that's there are various ways to win in MMA. That's correct. Right, that's sort of what I'm more of what I'm getting at. Like, yes, you, you're, yes, it's still a punching match. There's only one way to fight in boxing. Sure, sure. Is that correct? I guess so. Well, there's only no. There's lots of ways to fight. There's counter punching. There's you know punching. left southpaws. <laughs> still, that's still there's, punching. <laughs> oh god. I think you. I think you both are right. Thanks, Just from, Wow, no. you're being really diplomatic here. You really should take that. Cavs and six answer right there. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, we've kept you long enough. Uh, Pino, we always appreciate you coming on, man. Congrats again on the uh, Vice Sports role here, man. We, uh, and when you need you know, some suggestions of places to eat in Brooklyn, uh, where to take your fiance, uh, is that, that's new too, right? Congratulations on that as oh, well, yeah? man. Hey, congrats. Yeah, super, yeah. super congrats on that. I actually got the uh, I got the job offer on Friday and proposed on a Saturday. Oh day. man! So wow! Was, like, wow! Quite the weekend. Great. Holy cow! Congrats, man! Well, wow! Yeah, you just you. you just showed Vice you upstage Vice's job offer right there. That's, <laughs> sure. That's great! That's great. <laughs> Well, all right. Until next time, and, and I hope that everything works out for both your teams, guys. If it could go eight and they could split it four apiece and we could all have a, you know, a golf outing together, that'd be great. But unfortunately, only one winner between those Celtics and Wizards. We'll report back on that in a later date here. And until next time, everybody, this is a Limited Upside Podcast. Oh.